Welcome to Radio Primavera Sound. We're talking today to a Manchester music icon, uh, Graham Massey, who is the founding member of legendary electronic music group 808 State. Uh, Graham, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Just waking up. <laughs> in the morning. Uh, so your new album, Transmission Suite, is your first since 2002. Was it hard for you and Andy to get back to making music? Or do you just make music constantly and you don't release it? Um, I make music constantly and I do release it. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it, and I can't see what this gap was really for us. You know, it's just that we didn't make an 808 State album. So it, it feels... Making it, other records. So it feels kind of artificial to talk about a gap for you. You know, 808 yeah. State is always ongoing. And your music yeah, I mean, is always ongoing. Yeah, has always been ongoing as a, a live act. We've just not had a studio in which to gather together in. So independent, uh, independently, we've all been making music and in different projects, you know. So and gather together for doing 808 State concerts. You know, that's the way it's been for the past ten years or so. So you recorded. Um, oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, you recorded the new album at the former Granada Studios in Manchester, um, which has got a lot of history. Why is it so special? Um, for me, it's special because it's, um, it's always been this sort of place of music. Um, when we were growing up in the 60s and 70s and into the 80s, they were always presenting new music, Granada, Granada TV, and and at tea time as well, you know, kind of not late, at, not just late at night. Um, people like Tony Wilson, who was a news anchorman at this station, uh, presented all the early punk stuff to us on a on a sort of six p.m. kind of program. So we would see um, the Sex Pistols for the first time and uh, Joy Division for the first time while we were, you know kids you know um and then uh also you know a lot of the early rock and roll stuff was broadcast from granada studios the first beatles appearances um jerry lee lewis all these kind of like quite edgy things in the 1960s were not presented uh particularly by the BBC, unless they were in the charts. You know, it had a, it had a kind of sense of edge, uh, the Granada TV thing. So um, it was this place of reverence for us when we first uh, performed on um, one of Tony Wilson's shows called The Other Side of Midnight back in 1988. We just recorded Pacific State, and we were literally on uh, three weeks after we'd made the tape. It wasn't out on white label, but he put us on the TV at that point, you know. So, um, you know, it was obviously this sort of great sense of importance about being broadcast to the region at that time, you know, Granada broadcast to the whole of the north of England. And, uh, you know, so this place has a great reverence and, um, um, you know, sense of, it's almost like a sort of music temple to us. So to have a studio right in the centre of this this place was significant to us. Coming from the studio and, and the clubs, I, I presume, were you conscious um, of having to present a certain type of image for the first time you were on TV? Uh, did you think you had to change anything about the way that you performed? Um, no, we, we um, were, you know, 
I think all electronic music at that point in time struggled with a kind of presentation. Uh, when you see early Top of the Pops performances of people like uh, Depeche Mode or um, you know Human League and people like that, there was always a slight awkwardness with uh, you know one finger synthesizer playing <laughs> and maybe a reel-to-reel tape recorder running in the background, and you know there was a sense of um, newness to it that that presented some issues of performance, you know, because it wasn't all about. The, the lead singer and that kind of thing, you know. But it was it was jam- our, particularly in our band because we didn't have a lead singer. Right, you know, it yeah. Was just simply synthesizers. So. Uh, and top of the pops, people would soon play, sometimes sing the samples or, or at least mime the samples, wouldn't they? If, yeah. If they exactly. were actually playing and at all. You know, you you, you try to find any kind of um, uh, ledge to stand on. You know, with us having the saxophone in the track, that was a, a more comfortable place for me to be miming something. You know, so. Um, but it was the same in the concert situation. You know, when we first started with the rave thing, we were always at the back of the hall, plugged into the mixing desk, and um, people would often not know the difference between us performing live and a record playing. You know, it was, it was quite a blurry area. So um, it became an issue once we'd had some success and had to perform to, instead of performing to 200 people, performing to um, 10,000 people is a, is a massive difference, you know, and that's when we start relying on um, all the pyrotechnics and lasers and all, all the, you know, the accompanying sort of rave, rave um, paraphernalia, you know. This is one of the things I find so fascinating about your 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 work um, in music that you've been doing it for more than thirty years, and what you've yeah. been doing has gone from being um, this weird outsider thing that was rave, you know, that people didn't know how to what to do with you on top of the pops to being like an absolute phenomenon. And you know, now if you go on a TV show, people know exactly what it is you're doing. I mean. Does it feel very, very, very different today working in electronic music? Um, yes, I mean, it's hard. It's gone from a thing where uh, all electronic music stood out to an ocean of electronic music where it's really hard to stand out. <laughs> um, so you feel like it's the norm now and that... Um, um, to say um, emotional, you know, to, to make electronic music an emotional impact, especially within the, the realm of an hour of playing the concert, um, I see that as a real challenge to sort of tell a story with electronic music with emotional punch. Is like, I think that's one of the things that we can pride ourselves on the most. In, in that there's enough em, uh, emotional dynamics within uh, our electronic music to to keep people engaged for that amount of time. So, um, and I sometimes find that lacking watching other electronic acts that everything is kind of like the dynamics are quite small, you know. Speaking of other electronic acts, do you find that you get more inspiration from new forms of music and young producers, or is it stuff from the past that maybe you hadn't discovered before? And oh uh, yeah, I think I think it's uh, never been a time when it is as duplicitous as that. You know, really, 
I'm constantly discovering stuff that I think is new that is from 30 years ago. You know, some of the stuff from 30 years ago has a freshness to it that should, that the modern stuff really should have and vice versa. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It, 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 there's some stuff that you can still discover that you can't have possibly heard all the electronic music in the world. And, uh, you know, that's why DJs are so important as uh, spirit guides to this situation. You know, if you find a DJ that you empathize with, who has a, um, who connects with you, you know, and uh, th this is a, a complete delight when you find somebody that can guide you through uh, these uh, dark tunnels and shine lights on, on all the, all the, you know all the fantastic stuff that's that lives down there you know talking of new and music I, I oh sorry in a, a club on uh, saturday night actually I was doing a gig in hamburg and we got taken to another club called golden poodle in hamburg oh it's very famous uh yeah where the the dj there it, it was his 66th birthday <laughs> and you, you come with some preconceptions to things like that you think like okay right it's it's, it's looks but this guy was playing the most modern stuff and in, and playing it alongside the obvious, the fantastic accumulated knowledge of his DJ uh, came to the fore, you know, where he knows how to choose modern stuff and put it next to old stuff. And it really is a delight when that happens. Talking of which, let's play something off the new album. Um, this is an awful question, but what's your, what's your favourite track and why? Oh, wow. <laughs> um... That's, no, no, it's really super difficult. But maybe uh, Ludwig, 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 the Ludwig question. <laughs> All right, let's play that. Eight-way state with the Ludwig question. One really thing that interests me a lot, we were talking about new music, is that um, the new album, Transmission Suite, seems to have the influence of footwork. Is that right? Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I, I hate those definitions because, like, what I, I really don't know what the definition of footwork is other than the fact that certain records come into my life and it's like there's certain... Um, influences that i might take from 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 we're always looking for different ways of rhythmic interplay and when you're playing with the technology um these things will occur uh, where you go like um where the the rhythm is working in a different way so obviously yeah i'm listening out for music all the time that that moves in a different way um, but I'm not quite sure the, of the definition of footwork or, or, you know, the whole history of it. Or, you know, I'm certainly not as taking things as directly and things like that. Myself and Ben were commenting that the, the album sounds actually quite raw. Um, is, that a, is that a conscious decision? I mean, I know that, for instance, with the last Chemical Brothers album, they decided to use <laughs> some of the, the, the first equipment they ever used on the first albums. Were you, were you as well deciding, uh, trying to make it sound like um, you, that, like, you know, I'd urgent? Actually, I'd, I believe the technology has driven this album. To there's, there's been, 
some developments in the technology and we were working alongside people like Roland um, testing, we got given some sort of beta testing jobs on the Aero uh, equipment um, which is uh, like a kind of set at a certain price point but it's the new set of drum machines that are emulating the old drum machines but with a lot more um, wider ranging um, possibilities than the earlier machines. Um, so largely it's modern equipment that we've used on this record, although we have all the old equipment too. So there is a mix in there and uh, there is a mix of um, equipment that dates back to the 1960s in this record. But largely I would say 80% of it is um, equipment that you could now go into any high street music store and buy for under £500. And um, yeah, this has influenced the sound of the record and the, the, the huge sounds that you can get out of these drum machines require more space. So when people say it's raw, it's probably less dense than most 808 state records. For many years we've taken an orchestral approach to music and, and used many synthesizers in the mix, perhaps sometimes too many uh, dense layers of textures. But these are the phases that we've, we've been through as the technologies developed at, at different times. You know, So we're always, ref always reflecting uh, what the new music technology is doing on any of the albums you can go back along the timeline with. So... Um, uh, yeah, it is rawer, but it is uh, the sounds are kind of huger, <laughs> and therefore you 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 they're defined by the sounds you start out with, and therefore the other sounds you choose to put in there are almost like highlighter pens. So we're using a lot of, um, for instance, uh, digital synthesizers in with the analog synthesizers, so that there's a you know a stark contrast. Um, you know, so everything lives in its own space. So that, that's the sound of this record. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested. You don't sound like a nostalgic person to me. So how no. how does it feel when you hear your music from 30 years ago, or whatever, or you hear like an, an orchestra playing it, Hacienda Classical? Oh, yeah. Do you do you enjoy it, or is it weird, or how? Yeah. Oh, it's very weird. You know, it's very weird. I went to um, on a mission with the Fairy Engineering Brass Band. They were doing a big concert in the Berliner Festspiel uh, a few years ago with Jeremy Della, and I went along on this trip as a DJ, an after-show DJ. And hearing that music was really goosebumpy for me. Um, you know, to hear the hear it done with those instruments um, and have its own life is was extremely um, emotional for me. Um, and there's all these people doing orchestral versions like the Hacienda Orchestra and all the Cream Orchestra and all these people doing some of our material as well with, uh, with you know, essentially a, you know, traditional orchestra and uh, some of those things leave me completely cold. You know, I don't know. It's in um, people understanding the music and how to arrange it. I think there's possibly a really good version of an orchestral version of 808 State somewhere that's that's not been done, but it would take people really good. I'm fascinated by orchestrators and people who know how to use the colours in an orchestra 
uh, people like Diodato, do you know that that Umia Diodato who, who arranged strings on some of Bjork's things like Post, but his his stuff he did with Milton Nascimento back in the in the seventies, where the orchestra was without violins and just violas and cellos and these kind of colours that that people play with orchestrating them. I'm quite fascinated by that. So, yeah. Um, but as as for that thing of the nostalgia thing, I think a lot of our music has we've been lucky that it hasn't dated um as much as some of that music from that time has and that's because it was kind of not completely in step with the rave music of the time you know when i listen back to it it doesn't sound completely ravey it's it has another dimension to it yeah i think it was unlike Sheffield, let's say, that had kind of a bleep sound and a lot of people in that area in Bradford and Leeds were, were kind of latching on to. I think in Manchester, it wasn't necessarily the case. I mean, uh, there's not many people who made that 808 state sound. And the, the, the other records that are by other people often had you working on them. Yeah. Did you feel uh, that um, you were completely original at that time or did you have peers that were influencing you that maybe didn't get as much mm, fame? Um, I feel like all the things we got criticised for at the time we were making them have been its strengths. <laughs> you know, a lot of people would, uh, you know, and um, there was a lot of criticism from DJs as to um, it not fitting in. You know, I remember doing tracks like Cobra Bora off um, the album 90 in 1989. I remember that clearing the dance floor at the Hacienda. <laughs> and, and probably quite rightly because it was in like 6-8 or some, some kind of weird time signature. And it changed uh, every few bars into almost a different track, you know. But uh, it, it felt at that time like it was the time to experiment and anything goes, you know. There was so much weird music played on that dance floor that um, it was brave of DJs to try things like that. Uh, there were so many surprises every Friday night. You went there, and, and um, the DJ box just unfurled that week's um, experiments from around the world. It was so exciting, you know, to to um, try and make this work. And then, but probably by about '92, like the DJs had it nailed down into one linear, undynamic. Um, predictability, you know that. That's when it was kind of uh, uh, over for me, you know, in terms of like looking to the DJs to make that happen. So when we were putting our music together, we were very much still in the mind of making an LP. You know, of, it was probably quite backwards of us to think that way. You know, <laughs> but we were making something in the tradition of British underground music you know so it had probably more in common with a prog rock album <laughs> than it did with what was on the dance floor that week you know we, it was taking the energy of uh, the spirit the the new spirit of electronic music and its experimentation but um in the format of um, british underground music which to me was uh, side a and side b that kind of thing Graham, it's been an absolute pleasure. We could talk to you all day, um, but I'm sure you've got better things to do. Um, we want to play it with... Oh, you're playing Barcelona um, this weekend, I should That's say. That's right, Rasmataz, um, yeah. It's going to be a fantastic, fantastic gig. Um, we want to play it with a tune, but 
anything something off the new album or something old what 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 one tune should we play um could we play trinity off the new album absolutely grant thanks so much for speaking to us and uh this is trinity <laughs> 